0: We're studying the keys of the kingdom. Mr. Hoffland introduced us to this topic last Sunday and invite you to return there to Lord's Day 31, page 887 in the back of your songbooks, to the teaching, the Bible's teaching about the keys of the kingdom. Two keys the Lord Jesus uses, has given to his church to open and close the kingdom. Actually, the first key we notice opens and closes. That's the key of preaching. And the second one closes and opens the kingdom. If you just look back to question 83, what are the keys of the kingdom? Just a reminder, the preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline toward repentance, both of them open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. How does preaching the holy gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? And now 85, so we look at this afternoon, how is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? According to the command of Christ, those who, though called Christians, profess unchristian teachings, or live unchristian lives, and who after repeated personal and loving admonitions refuse to abandon their errors and evil ways, and who after being reported to the church that is to those ordained by the church for that purpose fail to respond also to the church's admonitions, such persons the church excludes from the Christian community by withholding the sacraments from them, and God also excludes them from the kingdom of Christ. Such persons, when promising and demonstrating genuine reform, are received again as members of Christ and of his church. Let's read together now in Holy Scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, page 1134. 1 Corinthians 5, page 1134. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth. There's sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you're arrogant. Are you not rather to mourn? Let him, him who has this done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one, suggesting here not even to eat the Lord's Supper with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Isn't it those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives and equip us for the ministry of Christian discipline, brothers and sisters in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Don't worry about the sins of people outside the church. Let God deal with them. You have to worry about sins inside the church, that's your calling. And isn't that so easy for us to tisk, tisk the sins of those outside the church? The immorality of our world. There is so much perversion. This is such a bad place. I can't believe they would do that. And then to cover our own sins in the church. And make excuses for them. And tolerate them. And say it's okay. That's what Corinth was doing. But Jesus is so concerned about sin inside the church that he gave us a special tool to deal with it. One of the keys of the kingdom, specifically the key of Christian discipline towards repentance. He's so earnest and so zealous about the church dealing with her own sins. He says, I give you a tool, an instrument, and by it, I will open and close the kingdom of heaven on people's lives. That's how powerful that tool is. That's the question for us. Do we in the church take sin seriously? Really, the question should be, do we take Christ seriously? Because that's what this is about. Jesus saved us from our sins to live for him. And if we say, Sin doesn't matter to us. What we're really doing is false advertising about Christ. Jesus saved you to make you free to go on in your sins. That's blasphemy. That's trampling underfoot the blood of Christ. No, Jesus saved us from our sins to live for him. And we must deal with sin in the church to show... What Christ has done for us and why he's done it. For a message of forgiveness to all who repent. And the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in a new way. So Christ calls us to take sin seriously in the church as a way to take Christ's work seriously. Christ seriously. So taking sin seriously in the church. First, In the ministry of admonition, then exclusion, and then also restoration of those who repent. Ministry of admonition, exclusion, and restoration. Admonition. Brothers and sisters, sin happens in the church. Jesus saved us from our sins. And that gift of salvation is found both in pardon and in power. By his death on the cross, he paid for our sins to pardon them. We have a free and full forgiveness. Trust in him. Your sins are gone. Your guilt is gone. You have acceptance with God. You're righteous in his sight. But his death on the cross also accomplished power. The power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live a new life for God in Christ. We have pardon through his death on the cross, We have the power to live the new life. And yet, we're still in the flesh, and until we die, we will keep on sinning and having to fight it. We won't reach perfection until Christ returns. And so the issue in the church, brothers and sisters, is not so much whether we sin, because we do. And it can be very grievous, right? But that's not so much the question as how we deal with it when we do. How we deal with it. And what was the church in Corinth doing about it? And you read that at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 5. There's a man living in gross immorality. I don't even want to say what he was doing. You read it there. The issue is not the sin he committed, but what he and others were doing about it. Nothing except allowing it to continue. They didn't call him out. They didn't minister him. They laughed about it, in fact. They covered it over. They ignored it. They excused it. They explained it away. Whatever they did, they behaved as if it didn't matter. And that says Paul in the next portion. It's not really a sin issue, but a Jesus issue. Because Jesus didn't die to give us the freedom to go on living in our sin. He died to make us holy. He died to make us good, make us new. So Paul will say that in verse 7. Clean out the old leaven, the sin in your midst, so that you may be a new unleavened batch as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus died to take away your sin and make you a new and holy people, a new batch. So don't let sin go and grow and spread and take over the whole church, let alone take over that own person's life. So they minimized sin in the church there at Corinth. Jesus didn't and he doesn't. And that's why he gave us the keys of the kingdom and in particular the key of Christian discipline. And in doing so Jesus gave the church authority, each one of us authority to deal with sin in the church, to minister his word to sinners who are going astray. Who are living in sin and are not repenting of it. Where does Christian discipline Begin, it's where self-discipline stops. So if I'm not living in self-discipline, putting my own sin to death. If I'm getting caught up in either one, to, one of two categories of error, immorality, moral error. Or the other is doctrinal error. 1 Corinthians 5 deals with moral error, immorality, and such sin. 1 Timothy 1, we read about last week about Hymenaeus and Alexander who were handed over to Satan, delivered over to Satan that they might be learn not to blaspheme. They were committing doctrinal error. So the catechism speaks about anybody who is living an unchristian life or teaching, professing unchristian teaching. You can have moral error and you can have doctrinal error. But when we're not disciplining ourselves against either of those and are letting sin grow and carry us away, that's when mutual discipline starts. And I need you to come to me and talk to me and admonish me because we're not allowed to tolerate it. Even if it's a friend or a family member. And that's especially when it can get really dicey, really... Difficult. It's my own spouse. It's my own son. It's my own daughter. It's my close friend. And then sometimes we begin to protect our friends and loved ones from the ministry of fellow believers and of the elders, and say, "Don't you dare get close," because discipline hurts. Discipline hurts. But brothers and sisters, the pain of admonition, the pain of discipline is much to be preferred over the path and the pain of eternal condemnation, just to let it go and let it grow and let it take over. Think of discipline as the Christian's internal healing system. God has given to every body an internal healing system so that when there's an infection in one part antibodies from all over the body rush to that spot to fight that infection and spare that part of the body and spare the whole body. But if the antibodies are slow or lacking, what happens? That infection grows and can wreck that whole member and then move on and the whole body goes septic, right? It's the body's internal healing system. Well, Jesus through the second of the keys of the kingdom gives to the body of Christ an internal healing system. The key of Christian discipline towards repentance and Jesus in Matthew 18 spoke of this process. It Starts one-on-one. If your brother sins, let alone sins against you, go and tell him his fault just between the two of you. And if your brother listens to you, if your sister listens to you, you've won them over. Praise the Lord. That's what it's about. Let's not soft pedal sins that we see in a friend, a son, a daughter, a brother and sister in Christ, a spouse. Sometimes when a spouse lives in sin, or a son or daughter, the pain of dealing with it. If we've addressed it and they haven't listened, and taking it further, say we need to get a counselor and so on, can be too much, and then we just stop it, and then it it just grows and it goes to the next generation often and the next one. And Christ has put such healing power right in our midst. Sometimes we see discipline as a matter of shame. I don't want my name out there or my family. It's not a matter of shame. It's a matter of grace. Jesus loves us so much. He loves the church that he bought with his precious blood so much that he's saying, you know, we have a mechanism for dealing with sin. It's in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. That gospel of forgiveness of sins and power to change is for you, for my people, every day. And I want you to minister that gospel through Christian discipline, even in one-on-one conversations, through loving admonition. True discipline is not to be confused with fault-finding. Sometimes we just like to find fault with others. That's not what it is. Not when it's done according to the command of Christ. Nor is it self-righteous judgmentalism, where you want to make yourself look good, and so it's fun to point out how another has wronged. Nor is it motivated by envy, where you want to hit someone when, when he's down, when she's down. No, it's loving admonition. You really don't want to see that person fail. You don't want to see him or her ensnared by a lie or by an addiction or by greed or lust. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's about coming in love, recognizing that the sin I see you getting caught in lives in me too. And it's only by the grace of Christ that I'm not in that sin. And I'm being sent to you to talk about it, to help you walk, to step out of it and walk away from it. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Help your brother, help your sister carry that. Help them get out of that. Don't, Don't just... Do a hit and run where you hit them with the truth and then run away from it and leave them to themselves. And if they won't listen to you, take one or two others. Keep it as private as possible, said Jesus. That would be the second step. Take one or two others along. And, and if they won't listen to them, tell it to the church. And, and not by putting a note in everybody's mail slot, but telling it to the leaders. so that they can work with you on ministering to that person for that person's salvation, but also for the protection of that the whole body and for, above all, the honor of the name of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb who died to conquer our sin. But... Of all places in the world, it's in the church that sin must be dealt with. Patiently, lovingly, but really. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump, says Paul. Well, let's see, secondly, exclusion. Tell it to the church, said Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. And if he refuses to listen to the admonitions of the church, then... Let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. And that meant an outsider to the church. Somebody who's been put out. And that's exactly what Paul is teaching here in 1 Corinthians 5. And 1 Timothy 1 when he says in verse 5, deliver this man over to Satan. This man who's been living this way. Deliver this man over to Satan. You say, well, what does that mean? Throw him in hell? No. It means the same thing as what Paul says in 5 verse 2. Let him be removed from among you. Delivering somebody over to Satan is the same as removing him or her from the church. Putting him out into the world where Satan is the boss. Where Satan and his cronies will rule your life. Why would you do that? For the destruction of his flesh his sinful nature, his addiction, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. For his reclama- it's a reclamation project. Always remember, brothers and sisters, the purpose of discipline is not to get rid of people you don't like, but to help people wake up to the seriousness of their sin. If perhaps God may grant them repentance... Remember again what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 2. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind and patient to all, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? So that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But if they refuse to heed, we must proceed to what we historically have called the extreme remedy, excommunication or exclusion. The church excludes them from the Christian community by withholding the sacraments from them, we say in 85, and God also excludes them from the kingdom of Christ. Remember the function of the keys from Matthew 16? Paul repeat. Repeats those words again, or Jesus repeats those words again in Matthew 18 when it comes to discipline. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. That when we're according to the command of Christ and faithful to the scriptures, binding and loosing on earth, we are doing what God has already done in heaven. What does it mean to bind and to loose people? To bind people means that if they don't respond in faith to the ministry of the word, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, ask for forgiveness for that sin, pray for the Holy Spirit to change your life. That's the good news. There's a way out. If they don't respond... And then it goes to two or three. And then it goes to the church. And if they still don't respond in faith, then they must be bound. And that means you declare their sins are bound or tied to them. And they're under God's condemnation. It's a terrible declaration. Loosing is the opposite. That You bring the good news to them. Right? The antibodies are bringing the good news to that That member who's in sin and saying, repent, believe the gospel. Jesus will receive you, forgive you, fill you with his spirit and change you. And they respond in faith. Then you loose them or you declare their sins are loosed or untied from them. And it's like Christian pilgrim's progress when that burden fell off his back and it rolled down, down the hill and went right into the sepulchre where it was buried and he saw it no more. And that's even what exclusion is about. Why it's, it's, it's called the extreme remedy. It's all in the hope. The Holy Spirit will use that ministry of discipline to say to that person, I'm outside of the body of Christ. I'm not part of the family of God. I'm not in the kingdom. I belong to the world. I'm in a terrible spot. He he uses discipline to do that. It's, It's a key of the kingdom. And he flees to Christ for salvation. That's the purpose of it. That his flesh may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. Again, it's not a ministry of shame, but a ministry of grace, where fellow sinners who are living in repentance deal with sinners who are not, to call them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So dear brother, dear sister, you may be here this afternoon, you may be, Listening to the live stream you may hear this later on but if you're being pursued by a fellow believer if you're being pursued by an elder if they're texting you if they're contacting you and urging you to see your error and to get out of that and you're not listening God is is working through that. It's serious business to to refuse that text and that phone call and that visit and that conversation. And then the key could be closing the door of the kingdom on you. When God is calling you back to a life of faith and obedience, of sound doctrine and holy living. And you must know this is a Jesus thing. This is a Jesus thing in the end, not a sin thing. The good shepherd is calling you. You know, the safest place you can run when you're stuck in a deep hole of sin is not to hide, not to run away, but to run to the one who's calling you, the Lord Jesus, through your friend, through your relative, through your elders. Because there's no better place, no safer place to go than the Lord Jesus Christ who loves to receive sinners and show mercy to them. And that's what we see thirdly, restoration. Discipline is a key that not only closes the kingdom of heaven when people refuse to repent and embrace the gospel, It also opens the kingdom of heaven by moving people towards repentance of their sin and reforming their lives. Jesus uses it to bring people to a state of alarm. I'm outside the family of God. I'm outside the kingdom of heaven. I'm lost. And the Holy Spirit then wakens that sinner to this horrible reality to move them, to flee to Christ for refuge. And when the Spirit does that, it'll be clear. Clear. They have fled from their sin and error. They have surrendered their life to Christ and are eager to follow him. Not that they immediately become perfect and never fail again. We will fail over and over. But they're now walking a new road of repentance and faith. It's a totally different road. And the beautiful thing about that man in gross immorality in 1 Corinthians 5 is that in 2 Corinthians, we think it's talking about the same man. He's come to repentance. And he's grieving over his sin. And church, Paul says to the church of Corinth, you should take him back again. You should receive him again. If he promises and demonstrates genuine reform, not to say, I'm sorry for my sin and then keep living in it, but... Like Zacchaeus, I'm sorry for my sin and I'll return fourfold, all that I've extorted, all that I've swindled from others and I'll give half of, of my goods to the poor. Like, he just demonstrates that he's become a new person in Christ. He's forgiven, he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's come to Christ, he's come to Christ. He's come out of his sin and he's come to Christ. He's come to Christ. Because that's what this ministry in the end is all about. It's a ministry of grace where Christ says, I am full of grace for sinners. And that's why we should not stay in it. We should not cover it. We should not tolerate it. But we need to minister to it in love. And know that that love... Of a word of admonition. That love that can even lead to exclusion. It's a love where Christ himself is pursuing the lost sheep. And wanting to find him and take him on his shoulder and bring him back home. God himself then opens the door to that person who repents. Not just the church. And there's great rejoicing in heaven. Jesus put it this way. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who've never gone astray. And we might, like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, say, well, that's not fair. I've never gone astray. I've been slaving for you, Lord, for all these years. You never threw me a party. Now this guy gets a party. And that is exactly the point. A people who are fully full of grace are ready to throw a party For those who have received grace from God in heaven. God delights in showing mercy. And so should we. And I might have, so to speak, kept my nose clean for a lifetime. And then this brother of mine who slept with prostitutes gets a party. Because there's joy in heaven. When the lost sinner repents and returns to Christ. And it's only when we take sin seriously in the church, each one of us, that this sort of blessing, opening and closing of the kingdom happens. That's how the Lord uses Christian discipline towards brothers and sisters who are going astray to draw them back. We take sin seriously Because we take grace seriously, Christ really forgives and receives every sinner who repents. James 5 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James 5. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ministry of Christian discipline towards repentance. Thank you that it pleases you to use the ordinary minds and mouths of brothers and sisters to go and reclaim those who are losing their way in this life. There are so many potholes and so many minefields and so many ditches for us to fall into. We need one another. And you have blessed us with that ministry of reaching out to one another and helping one another. Help us to make the most of this. What a way, Lord, for the gospel to shine in our lives and in the body of Christ. We pray that that gospel may live in our midst too. The message of salvation in Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.